Amen. Thank you for that beautiful song. Um, so shadows of this sinful life will pass away or something like that. I was thinking about that. That's a world that we don't know yet. With, with sin and evil in the past, something as a distant memory. Because we are in the thick and thin of it right now. But because of what Christ has done, believe it or not, all the struggles and the trials, all the bad news that we're inundated with, will be a thing of the past. Because Christ will conquer it. Well, good morning. And this, uh, this year, as you know by now, for our Communion Sunday series, we do something a little different on Communion Sundays. We're looking at our covenant class material. And in our covenant class material, it could be broken down into basically three parts. Who we are, what we believe, and based on who we are and what we believe, the way that we do church life, the way that we apply Scripture. And so that's what we have been looking at uh, on our communion Sundays so far in 2022. And we've talked a little bit about God's providence in who we are and how He brought us about as a church. And we began as a home church with just a few families. And today we have uh, several buildings and several families and just under 50 acres that God has blessed us with. So this is who we are. And through God's providence, we get to fellowship together, do life together. This morning in Sunday school, or right before Sunday school, Corky asked John Razima to open us in prayer. And he prayed a wonderful prayer. And one of the things that he was grateful for was this church. The church is God's provision. It's something that we, I was reminded of in his prayer that we shouldn't take for granted. The church of the living God. And this is a place that we can look forward to coming to and people that we can look forward to getting to know and growing along in our pilgrimage. So I appreciate that prayer, John Razima, and I. those are my sentiments exactly. I feel very blessed to be here this morning. So we've talked about who we are, and then we began to talk about what we believe. What do we believe as a church? Well, the way we figure out what we're supposed to believe comes right out of Holy Scripture. So one of the one of the topics that we looked at in what we believe was God's revelation. In Kevin's prayer this morning, we heard about the natural revelation. He quoted it that God can be known in part just through what he has created. It's that evident, evident, it's that obvious, so obvious in fact that that passage or Paul goes on to say that man it man is without excuse. It's so obvious who God is and how wonderful and how worthy he is that we stand without excuse just based on natural revelation. But natural revelation is not enough. And so he blessed us with special revelation, his spoken word. And we, that's what we, we rally around today, the truth of his word. And he tells us things in his word that we would not know otherwise. And sometimes I forget how profound just the Bible is. But you have to understand that in this book are found not just, not just information, but eternal truths that we would not conclude if we were left to our own. 
the wisest minds in the world could not conclude this and did not conclude this. You think about the golden age of Greece and all the philosophers that think so high up here and we try to scratch our heads and figure out what they're talking about. But in all of their conclusions about, well, where did we come from and what's true and what's not, what's moral and what's immoral, they do not draw the conclusions that God revealed to us in Scripture. And so we are so grateful to know for sure, with certainty, where we came from, where we're going, is there a God? If so, who is this God? How do we worship Him? How do we get on his good side if we're on his bad side? All of these things that we need to know in life to have any semblance of peace we find in God's word. So we looked at the doctrine of special revelation and revelation. Then we looked at the doctrine of God. There is no God like the God that we serve at New Covenant Fellowship. So this morning, we're going to look at the doctrine of salvation. And by the way... Uh, you're encouraged to look at our covenant class material if you have not. And it's, it's been posted on our website. And I think perhaps even on the Facebook page. Um, so you have access to it there if you don't have an actual folder. The doctrine of salvation. Interesting. So the doctrine of salvation, if you open a theology book, you'd be hard-pressed to find a topic or subject entitled the doctrine of salvation. And that's because the doctrine of salvation is so big. It's, it's so complicated. What you will find is, say, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of regeneration, the doctrine of adoption. Because all of these doctrines go into the whole package of what we would consider the doctrine of salvation. An incredible amount of activity takes place for one soul to get saved. It's just just enormous kingdom activity, divine, supernatural activity takes place in order for just one soul to get saved. Conversion doesn't begin at our personal experience of conversion. When you read God's revealed word, things that we would not know unless God revealed it to us, you'll find that our conversion took place before the beginning of time. He chose us before the beginning of time in him, before the foundation of the world. And so there's so much work that goes on behind the the scenes in order for even just one person to repent. And believe in Christ. It's, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Our temptation, I think, when we think about salvation is to only think of it in terms of our personal experience or our personal conversion. But we, when we read about it from, from God's standpoint, what you will find is that no matter uh, how dynamic your testimony is, no matter how much you had to give up, say, to confess Christ, no matter how many sacrifices you gave, God gave more. And really, the, the doctrine of salvation is way more about God 
than it is about us. Because it's God that accomplished our salvation. And so no matter, and, and it's hard, it's hard to renounce sin. It, there's a death to self, but no matter how difficult it is for us to, for, for us to be converted and remain converted on our part, God much more. For it is Christ has accomplished our salvation for us. And what happens when we look at the, the doctrine of salvation and kind of take our eyes off of ourselves, even though we benefit from it, we, we find that we will marvel way more in the God of salvation than our personal experience or who we are. That's kind of the effect that it should have on us. If we properly understand what took place, what God did in order for us to be transformed from, from death to life, we cannot but stand in awe of this loving, merciful, gracious, faithful, committed God. So my goal today, since it is such a complicated topic, is just to take a, just a real basic, big picture overview and answer three simple questions about our salvation. Before I do that, I want to read our covenant class material, what's in the book about salvation. Because it's, uh, it's actually a sh- pretty short, it's pretty brief. Usually they're, they're too long. But this is what our covenant class um, material says. We believe that salvation comes to man by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. This is a gift of God so that no one can boast. We believe that God elects and calls those that through the... In, that through the enlightening and illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, believe in His Son as their personal Savior. Ephesians 1, 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. The result of this action is the gift of eternal life, freedom from the bondage of sin, a restored relationship with God, a positional standing in righteousness, and all the resources needed to persevere and live a pleasing and godly life in Christ. Now, a few scriptures, of course, John 3.16, you know that one. Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26, we just got out of that. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, 6-7, knowing this, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And last scripture, Second Peter 1, 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So that's what our covenant class material says, and that's kind of the foundation that we're going to lay this morning for the doctrine of salvation. Now that we have that foundation, it's time to launch into our three questions to try to understand this huge topic, this beautiful, uh, intricate thing. So the, my first question when I think about salvation 
To me, the most important question is, from, from what are we being saved? I mean, what, why do we need to be saved? Yeah, but what are, we, what are we trying to be saved from? I think that's something that we need to understand very clearly because salvation is complicated and we can, we can maybe get it wrong or not quite understand it in its proper uh, order. So what are we being, what do we need to flee from in order to be saved? What is it that we fear? Is it, is it the devil that we need to run from? Is it, is it financial ruin that we need to run from? Is it disease or a skin rash or, or bad decisions that we need to run from or, or hurt feelings? What, what is it that we fear so much that we are supposed to flee from it? Or that which we would do anything or should do anything to avoid. Let me read you um, the results of a very recent survey actually given to American people from safehome.org. And it lists uh, 41 of the top things that Americans fear. Americans are, so if you're asked, well, what are you, what would you like to be spared from? What do you fear and would like to be spared from? These are the things. It's 41 of them. And uh, they, there's over 2,000 people that participated in this survey. And they gave it a, uh, what do they call it, a fear score. So based on the percentages and how people answered it, they gave it a fear score. And just to give you an idea where we're headed, I'm going to tell you the greatest fear. It got the greatest fear score and then the least. So the greatest fear score for Americans was the fear of loved ones dying. And that got a score of 94. The least thing that you Americans are fearful of. It only got a score of 17 is being abducted by aliens. So very few people are, are scared and fearful of being abducted by aliens, although there are some. And I, there's 41 of them, and I'm just going to read them quickly because this is the consensus, I think, it's... Fair to say that if you were to just approach Americans on any day and say, what, what are you trying to, what do you fear the most in life that may befall you? These are the kind of things that uh, would probably come out of your mouth or at least many people. So love, fear of loved ones dying was the first. The second, loved ones becoming seriously ill. Uh, mass shootings. Not having enough money for retirement. Terrorism, corrupt government officials, personally becoming seriously ill, hate crimes, high medical bills, widespread civil unrest, car crash, snakes. Can you believe it? That got a score of 71 on fear factor scale. I don't know a single person scared of snakes. Oh, somebody's pointing the finger over here. Your son just threw you under the bus. Good job, Ryan, though. There are people that are uh, scared of snakes. Fascism. Losing access to clean air. Losing access to drinking water. Identity theft. Police brutality. Plastic waste buildup. Being hit by a drunk driver. Losing home to a natural disaster. Unable to pay mortgage or rent. Corporations influencing government. Robbery or burglary. Never paying off debt, 
being physically assaulted. Government tracking personal data. That got a score of 60. Being alone. Spiders. Plane crash. Losing your job. Stock market crashing. Communism. Unfaithful partner. Workplace automation. Being the victim of domestic abuse. Firearm restrictions. Relationships lost to political social differences. Needles. Got a factor of 35. Lightning strikes. Ghosts are 31. And then all the way down at 17, we're being abducted by aliens. Now, fears are real. These things are absolutely true concerns. I'm concerned about these things. Some of these things I fear. They're real. If they befall us, it's, it's painful. But Scripture tells us that there is one thing that we are to fear above all other things. Even in our fears, God reveals that they should be prioritized. And the thing that we should fear the most is God and his wrath or the wrath of God. Now, in fairness, that wasn't put on this list. Um, be interesting to know if that was put on this list, what the results would have been. But too easily, I think we lose sight of that which we should fear the most at all times. In the midst of even a fallen, fearful, scary Unsafe world. So what are we saved from? We are saved from the, the most fierce, not just force, but the most fierce personal force in existence. It's the wrath of God. There's nothing more dangerous. There's, there's nothing more harmful. There's nothing more painful. Nothing more terrifying. Nothing more eternally lasting than to fall under the wrath of God and to fear anything else any more than that is wrong. As a matter of fact, it is a lack of a fear of God that makes this world so unsafe and messy and painful. And Jesus, the Son of God, says these words in Matthew ten twenty eight that I think just just it floors me to even think in these terms because we're, we're so used to thinking in in just physical or material. Terms And he says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You mean there's someone that can destroy not just the body, but the soul? I mean, who has that kind of power? So we can rightly, we, we can rightly fear these things that are on this list. As I said, I do. But the greatest fear, if we have any sense or wisdom of reality at all, should be the wrath of God. And so that's what we need to be spared from or saved from. Not so much the devil or darkness or even death. The wrath of God. Our world in its new age thinking, and we, we hear it all the time, we see it in the media and movies all the time, and, and, and there's, the, there's this balance in the world, right? There's this balance between 
good and evil, uh, the yin and the yang, the balance between light and darkness, um, good and evil. Uh, and so what we need to do, our challenge is to try to keep it in order to, to keep the universe in harmony. We have to keep good and evil in this this balance. And, you know, Star Wars teaches us that and there's, there's this force out there. So it needs to be balanced to find harmony. And I hope you don't believe that. That, that. That's degrading to the power and the sovereignty of God. There's no balance between good and evil. God is only good. There's no balance between Satan and God. Satan answers to God. Evil answers to God. Death answers to God. Disease answers to God. There's no balance. God is above all of these things. He's powerful and he cares and he gets his way and he makes promises and he fulfills his promises. And what does his holy wrath burn against? Well, sin and evil. It burns against sin and evil in, in every form and every creature. Nahum uh, 1, 2. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. Now, God's revealing himself to anyone that would care to read his revelation. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The wrath of God, we don't hear much about the wrath of God. And therefore, we think that the things of this earth are the most scariest things that we need to be scared from. Uh, we need to be spared from. And that is simply not true. I want to go back to um, a theologian, an American theologian that has been hailed as the greatest American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. And I want to read a few quotes from him regarding the way God processes or thinks about or avenges sin and evil. This is out of um, actually one of his sermons, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He says, your wickedness makes you, as it were, heavy as lead. And to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to hold to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a fallen rock. He goes on to say the unconverted men. Walk over the pit of hell on rotten covering. The God that holds you over the pit of hell much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. 
You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful, venomous serpent is in ours, end quote. When's the last time you heard anything that resembled anything like that? When's the last time have you heard people, even Christians, process, just think honestly about what God reveals about his hatred towards sin, what happens to sinners that don't repent, and what is the end of the world as we know it? We, we conveniently can avoid these kind of concepts or thoughts or truths. Revelation nineteen fifteen from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress, the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. This is a real thing. It's a kingdom reality and therefore our reality. So I think in, in all fairness, as I approach this topic, if we're going to talk about salvation at all and understand it at all, this is where we need to, to start because this is what we, we need to understand that we need to be saved from. And as scary as this life is, and as many things there are to be fearful, God must be above all of those fears. Because it is the lack of proper fear of God that will cause us to walk above, above hell on that rickety platform. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's a real thing. And God is revealing it because unrighteous men suppress him. They suppress the truth so that we can try to walk and live as if there was no wrath or there was no God. So from what do we need to be spared but the very wrath of God? And why do we need to be saved? Secondly, well, we looked at the 41 fears of America, at least the, the greatest fears. But not only did we just hear them uh, in print, but we, we read about them, we experience these very fears. That's our lives, right? I mean, they, these are the kind of things that happen every day. They talk about mass shootings. But just recently, it's almost old news if you can believe it now, but just recently there was a a mass shooting, an 18-year-old kid in my mind, at my age, 18-year-old, you're just a kid. I know you think you're grown up. But in my mind, an 18-year-old kid walks into an elementary school and, and lets loose and fires on other children, killing 19 children and two adults. And, this, and things like this happen, and all of a sudden, people have this awareness of evil. Wow. How could something like this happen? And we want answers. We want to know how we can make sure nothing like this happens again. And, and things, that we, things about good and, and evil and right and wrong that we shove under the carpet all of a sudden just comes to the forefront and we want answers. I mean, who let that kind or that level of evil into our world? Well, we did. We did. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. 
Sin is real. And the Texas shooting is, it's, it's a tragic and absolutely heart-wrenching, tear-jerking example and reminder of the mess that we have gotten ourselves into by not fearing God. And it sounds like too simplistic of an answer for how can we improve our world or prevent these things from happening. It sounds so simplistic, but it is either through sins of commission or sins through omission, this series that results in the very things, the tragedies that we witness in our world and have to experience in our own lives. We have a tendency to hate everybody's evil but our own. God hates it all, every form and every level, because he's holy and he's pure and he can't stand to look upon it. And he's doing something about it. His wrath is doing something about it and his mercy is doing something about it. Concurrently, there are people that are being condemned and there are people that are being mercifully saved. What do we need to be saved as sinners who are deserving of God's wrath? We need Christ. We need the very God that we fear. We need him. And so in one sense, we are to flee the wrath of God. And the way we flee the wrath of God is to run into his arms with a repentant heart. And the faith that he's given us as a gift. See, we're a part of the very thing that God hates and that his vengeance is upon that that wine press that he treads. That's what scripture teaches us. Sadly, we're in some form or fashion a part of the decay and the evil and the things that we would like, we read about in the headlines and would like to think that we have no part of that. And yet in our own way, we do. And in some way, we applaud evil. We coddle it. We... We keep it around as a pet. We encourage it. We excuse it. We manipulate it. We lust after it. And if we do not want to plunge into the flames of eternal hell, then we need to find a way to escape it. The scripture also gives us that. Special revelation. And here is how are we saved. A few scriptures, Romans 5, 9 through 11 Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received Reconciliation. We're we're saved by God the Son. We are literally saved by Jesus Christ. And why do we need salvation? Well, we are legally guilty because we inherited Adam's guilt. Our guilt comes from all different directions. So we inherited Adam's guilt. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... 
And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12. And then Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, just the opposite is true. Fortunately for us, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Through Adam all died. Through Christ, those that are his children live. But not only do we bear the inherited legal guilt, well, we're guilty by nature. We know that we have a sin nature. It's our tendency. As much as we we, we have a love-hate relationship with evil and righteousness. We can fall on different sides of the line any given day. Because we have a sin nature, we act in sin. Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58, 3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth. So, divine revelation shows us that uh, our sinful disposition, even before we're born, while we're still in the womb, that nature is there, and we act on it. Here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians as we begin to wind down a little bit. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is everybody who is outside of Christ. Dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So, by nature, children of wrath, because of our sinful nature and because we act on that, Nature, we just followed the course of the world. We just write in, in cadence with the evil one and the sons of righteousness. Now, how do we escape this wrath? We repent and believe. We believe in the truth. We believe in sacred scripture. We believe God's words over our own and sense our guilt. We become honest with ourselves and with God. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, Peter said, on the day of Pentecost. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's a great question. Peter said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Goes on to say in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. For it is by grace we are saved. Through faith. And this not of ourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast one last scripture for Christ died for sins once 
for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 See, Jesus took our punishment. He took the wrath that we earn, that we deserve for our decisions and our actions and spared us that wrath and punishment. And then gives us the life we do not deserve, the life that we did not earn because he gives us his righteousness and clothes us in that and sets us before God. And so we can enjoy a a pure and holy, if you can believe it, that's why grace is scandalous. We can enjoy a pure and holy, right-standing relationship with the living God only because of what Christ accomplished for us. And even the faith that we have comes from Him as a gift. So you see, if you're going to talk about salvation, you're going to land with understanding how we are pretty pitiful creatures. But how as pitiful creatures we serve a tremendously great, there is no God like our God. And He has saved us when we repent and believe from His fierce wrath. May God bless the preaching of His Word and may we remember that we are the people of God. And as the church, we are the people of God together. And we're in covenant with each other. And we stand and live and have our being in the presence of God. And it is an honor and privilege that as the people of God, we can commune with Him and worship Him and use our breath to praise Him. That is no small thing. And it is at great cost that God has brought us to this place in the presence of mind to bow before Him. Let's worship and commune.